As I said earlier, um, Pastor Rannon and I and Pastor Damon, we tend to preach the same subjects. It's not the same exact message, but we share our materials and uh, we work together trying to say to you what we feel like the Lord is saying to us. And so um, he's been on a theme this summer about the Holy Spirit. In recent weeks, he's been talking about the manifested presence of God and how that you and I have the wonderful opportunity corporately to come into his presence uh, here in this house. Uh, my series has been entitled The Privilege of His Presence. And uh, I've been sharing that from a number of different uh, angles from Scripture and just building the awareness of, of uh, an expectation for the presence of God when we gather. Uh, different congregations have different expectations. Everybody say expectations. Now, you know, the Spirit of God can move anywhere, anytime. The Spirit of the Lord can move in a Catholic church. The Spirit of the Lord can move in a mainline denominal Baptist church. The Spirit of the Lord can move um, in a Methodist church or Episcopal church or an Assembly of God church or a Pentecostal church, a Charismatic church. The Spirit of the Lord can move anywhere. And everywhere He moves, it looks a little different. The culture of a people color a move of God according to their culture. And so uh, when you travel overseas and you go to Latin America or the African continent or you go to Asia, and when you worship with them, even we may be singing the same songs, when the Spirit of the Lord starts to move, there are some things that are the same, but overall it looks different. Um, you and I have a heightened expectation of the presence of God when we gather. I'm convinced that not every Christian believer has the same level of expectation that you and I do. We understand that God is enthroned on our praises. That when we worship God, God said He would literally enthrone Himself in our midst. And like a king sits on a throne... And from that place does the business of his kingdom. God said, when you worship me, I will be enthroned on your praises. And I will begin to do the business of my kingdom among you. When we enthrone God on our praises, God sits himself in the middle of us. And he begins to do marvelous things. People are saved. Their lives are changed. They're delivered from the chains that bind them and their bodies are healed. And miraculous things are released for in their life when God is enthroned on our praises. You and I, because of that, have a tremendous expectation of His presence. You know, oftentimes I go home from church. You know, it's church is not always the same. And some days are better than others. That's life. Some days I go home and... You know, the, the worship went well, and I preached pretty good, and the ushered ushed, and, the, you know, the nursery workers worked, and it just seemed like it all kind of came together. But if I don't sense the activity of the Holy Spirit, inevitably I go home feeling like I fell short. And I know sometimes you go home and you feel like, you know, it was good church, pastor did a good job today. You know, but it, it was good. And there's that sense that we didn't quite get there. That our, our deep inner expectation and hunger was not met. And sometimes I, I get so frustrated with myself, my leadership, my preaching, just the whole operation. 
then I just want to be the kind of pastor that says, look, if anybody showed up and we had church, it was a good day. <laughs> and, and not really have this deep feeling that if God's Spirit is not there and demonstrates Himself, it's like, well, it was just okay, it was good. But I won't give up that expectation. And I want that to be in you. I want you to expect God to move. And when he doesn't go home feeling a little bit like next Sunday, we're going to really get with it. And this week we're going to pray because there is that cultural inbred expectation of the demonstration of God's presence. And when we don't have it, we all feel like just a little bit short today. Just, just a little bit short. I don't want to speak into you dissatisfaction. I, I don't want to speak into you unrealistic expectations. I, I don't want to speak into you the idea that sometime God's here and sometime He's a million miles away. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying there needs to be stirred in us a hunger for God's presence, a reality of God. You see, when you step into the presence of God, God's reality is heightened. A sense of awareness that God is not only real, He's here. When you step into God's presence, there is a heightened reality of His nearness. Like most everyone that would go into a Christian church believe in God. And they believe that He is in heaven. And they believe that He exists. But when God's Spirit begins to move, there is a heightened awareness of His nearness. It's not like he's up there somewhere. It's like, man, he is right here. I'm telling you, he is here. And so when the Spirit of the Lord moves in, there, there is this heightened sense that God has come near. And you become addicted to that experience. You, you become dependent in a wonderful way on that experience. I want to be near God. I don't want God just to be a philosophy or an idea or a belief system or someone that sits on a throne and is high and lifted up and I never get very close. But I want a God that is near and a God that I can sense very close, interacting with me, working with me, around me. I want to go home feeling like I've been refilled with His presence, like something was deposited in me, like I had a visit with the King. And everything's going to be all right now. That is our expectation. And sometimes we may fall a little short, but we don't give up our expectation. And so today, I want to spend some time stirring up in you a greater hunger for God. Stirring up in you a greater hunger for His Spirit. Certainly know that it's already there. I already know that I'm preaching to the choir, but Paul talked about stirring up your pure hearts, stirring it up. So I want to stir something that already exists in you this morning and talk to you about the ultimate encounter with God. The ultimate encounter with God. What if God shows up in church for real? And you have an encounter not like anything you've ever had in your life. What will you do if God shows up in church for real? 
I want to start in the book of Matthew, chapter 3. And let me tell you the story, and then I'll read you some key verses. Let's say that you live in the city of Jerusalem or one of the surrounding villages. And you hear about this man named John the Baptist who came out of the wilderness and he's preaching a very impactful message. A message of repentance. All your friends, all your family, the whole village is going out. So you go along to see what it's all about. And just like so many others, your heart is moved, you're gripped with your own sense of sin and guilt. You repent of your sin, and like thousands of others, you go down to the river of Jordan, and God and John baptizes you in water. Your sins are washed away, and you become a new person. You start to go back on a very regular basis because John's preaching. He's in your area. He's a good preacher. There are no signs. There are no wonders. There are no miracles. Nothing spooky is happening. Just a profound speaker with a gripping message. And then at the end, long lines of people go down and they're baptized in the Jordan River. I've been to the place where it is believed that this very thing happened. And I too was rebaptized in the Jordan River. It was a wonderful experience. I wish everyone could have it. But on this particular day, you've been there a number of times. You know the routine. You know where to go. You know where to sit. You know what to do, when to stand up and when to sit down. You know about John's manner and his method. You know he's going to preach and you know at the end he's going to give an invitation and everyone that wants to go down and be baptized for repentance, they all line up and he baptizes them in water and then somewhere after that the church is over. But on this particular day, you're going along like normal. Everything is as usual. Everything is just like it has always been. And then a man steps down into water that you've never seen. You really can't hear the words. You're at too great a distance. There's a simple, quick exchange between John and this next candidate for baptism. And then John, sure enough, baptizes him in water like thousands of others. But this time it's different. I want to read to you. Verse 16 and 17. When he, meaning Jesus, was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Whoa! What just happened? Another person is baptized. The heavens open. This thunderous voice that seems like it's coming from everywhere, reverberating with divinity, suddenly begins to speak and said, This man being baptized is my beloved son. And a shaft of light shone out of heaven, and the Spirit of God came down upon him in a way that it had never come down upon any other man on the planet. And you're just sitting there with your eyes wide open saying, what just happened? I've never seen this before. I didn't sign up for this. I mean, this is great, but it's pretty out there. What 
will my friends think about this? We fast forward a few chapters later and just believe, make believe that Jesus invites you and two other of your friends to go up on the mountain to pray. And while you're up there praying, suddenly the face of Jesus starts to glow. You're like, whoa, what's going on with your face? It's like a light bulb on the inside. And then all of a sudden his clothes begin to glow. We're talking Steven Spielberg stuff now. This is a superheroes movie. And then once again, the heavens open and this booming, coming from everywhere voice said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And while you're there, suddenly two men appear on each side of Jesus. Moses and Elijah. And you already know who they are. They've been dead for a thousand years, but it don't matter. You know who they are. Whoa, there's Moses and there's Elijah. They've been dead for a thousand years, and suddenly they're standing right in front of you. What would you do if God showed up for real? So the next day you go to work, and you had made up your mind you weren't telling anybody about that prayer meeting because it got pretty out there. But you can't help it because, I mean, you just got to talk about things like this. So sure enough, you're telling your your friend at work. Let's say your friend at work is a good nominal Christian. Honest, hardworking, goes to church, loves the Lord, but never does anything extreme or edgy. So you get to tell them the story about this guy you've been following and the guy you've been going to see and listen to preach and how you went to a prayer meeting. And right in the middle of the prayer meeting, which was pretty normal, they'd done that plenty, all of a sudden, his face starts glowing. And his clothes start shining. You know, and your friend's eyes are starting to get a little big, like, oh, really? Now, who is this guy you've been going to see? What did you say his name was? And then you get to the part where suddenly Moses and Elijah just kind of appears on each side of them. Now, I picture about this time your work associate is going to get a text or a phone call that he's got to take care of immediately. And he's got that look in his eye like, you have fallen off the deep end. That crew you've been going to church with, they're a little extreme. What would you do? If God showed up for real and did something you couldn't explain to your family and friends. Let's go just a little bit further. Acts chapter 2. Again, you're in the crowd. You've been going to Jerusalem and to the temple three times a year, every year of your life. It's the day of Pentecost. For you, it would be like Easter or Christmas Sunday or some other great annual event. You've gone there. You know the routine. You know where to go. You know where to sit. You know when to stand up. You know all the words to the song. You know when to get there and when it'll be over and it's all timed and you're very comfortable in it. There'll be lots of people there. Most of them you know. Others of them from other parts of the world you don't know. It's a big crowd. It's a big thing, but you're comfortable. It's all cool. 
You've done this every year of your life. You know exactly how to do it. You probably know everything that's going to happen. It's very predictable, very safe. And about 9 o'clock in the morning, you're there going through the motions at the hour of prayer and making your prayers and everybody else is making their prayer. And everything is as it always has been and they think will be. And suddenly there's this commotion of about a hundred or more people. And it's a commotion. And you're like, what's that commotion? What's wrong with those people? What's going on over there? And of course, when you and I are in a crowd, a public place, and there's any kind of a commotion, we've got to go see what's going on. I mean, you can't just not see what's going on. You've got to know what's going on. So there was a commotion with about a hundred people or so. So you kind of ease over there quietly and and, 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 and cautiously, and you're kind of looking in to see what's going on. And for whatever reason, the, this commotion is amongst a group of people that all seem to be very intoxicated. Even though it's very early in the morning, these people are intoxicated. Now, how did they know they were intoxicated? Well, the same way you know when you see someone that is intoxicated. If you see someone is, that is intoxicated, how do you know it? What are some of the signs that a person is intoxicated? What is it? Go ahead, tell me. They're talkative. (laughs) Real talkative. (laughs) What else? They stagger. They lose their sense of balance. They, they, They can't walk straight. What else? What? They have a glaze in their eye. All right. What else? They, they, they no longer as inhibited. Their sense of inhibitions go away, right? If they're loud, they get quiet. If they're quiet, they get loud. And suddenly they, they dance when they shouldn't be dancing. They, they do crazy things because they, they lose their inhibitions. So they're looking at the commotion and they say, man, these people are intoxicated. Because they could see that they're... Their expressions were all as if they had been intoxicated. So, you keep looking a little further, and you listen to to their language. And you realize that these Galileans, that you know some of them, you know their accent, you know where their country is, you know their locals, and they're speaking languages that they've never learned very well. And you're like, you know... That boy from East Texas shouldn't be speaking Japanese. That Louisiana boy, he, he shouldn't be speaking Persian. And you could, they could just knew these people were speaking languages that they hadn't, did not have the, the background or the education to speak. And you're looking at these guys and all of them are speaking the wonderful works of God, but in the wrong language. You just keep looking, maybe getting a little closer to try to figure this out because this is too good a deal to just walk away from. You've got to figure out what's going on. And you get up close and you figure out that there's, they got these little flames going on. It's like their hair is on fire, but it's not being burned. The Bible said flames of fire set upon each of them. And you're like, wow, what is that? How did that happen? And then suddenly there is this roaring wind that comes into the temple. Like no other wind you've ever heard in your life. 
The Bible said it was sounded like a rushing mighty wind. You don't know if it's a tornado or a freight train. You don't know what's going on. But there is this roaring wind. And about that time you realize, man, this is not normal church. Something big is happening here. So what would you do if God came and shows up in church for real and messes up our best routine and our best effort to have church? What would you do? Let me go just a little further. Acts chapter 4. Let's say that you lived in a nice neighborhood that was safe and clean, lots of good folks that you related to. And your neighbor down the, just down the way of peace, you noticed there was a lot of people coming into their house, and their house was filling up. A lot of noise was being made. It's it noisy. And you realize, well, they're having a party or they're having a funeral, but obviously something big is going on because people are filling up the house. And of course, there were no uh, glass on the windows, and the houses were not sealed as they are today. So if, you know, someone... Uh, laughed, you heard it, and if they cried, you heard it, and if they were happy, they heard it, if they got mad, you heard it, because the houses were open, and some of you are old enough to remember before we had air conditions, our windows were open, and you heard everything the neighbor said and did, because we, you know, the houses were open, well, that's the way it was, there was no air conditions, the houses was open, and so the people began to pray, and you realize, man, there must be a prayer meeting going on over there, Acts chapter 4. And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And suddenly the ground around your house and theirs began to shake. The Bible said the literal building where they were assembled was damaged as a result of the shaking that took place while they were praying. What would you do? Would you um, call the law? See if we couldn't get this disturbance of the peace fixed? Would you go over and knock on the door and ask them what was going on and if you could be a part of it? When you went out the next day to go to work, you walk down the driveway, pick up the uh, newspaper and head toward your car, would you just not make eye contact with them as they walk down their driveway? What would you do if something happened that you couldn't explain, you didn't understand, you just weren't sure about it. What would you do? Let's fast forward to Acts chapter 9. Saul was traveling with a group of people from Jerusalem to Damascus. Saul was the most educated man of his day. Brilliant, astounding leader. And you had hooked up with him because Saul was a big man in the Jewish religion. He was clearly a young man on the rise, a bright star. Somehow you had networked and connected and got aligned and you're, you're traveling with him. As a matter of fact, together you're going to go down to Damascus and you're going to find all of the people that are involved in this Christianity following Jesus or the way. And you're going to arrest every one of them and put them in jail and stomp them out because Saul said they were heretics. And Saul said they needed to be arrested. And Saul said that their religion was false. And Saul said that we need to do something about it. So we're going to Damascus and we're going to do something about it. And somewhere along the road, suddenly, without warning, a shaft of light 
comes right down on Saul. And you're like, whoa, where is that light coming from? And at that same moment, you can hear this rumble and roar of noise coming from everywhere. And you can hear the sound, but you, don't, you can't distinguish the words. The men with Paul heard God speak to Paul on the road to Damascus, but they couldn't distinguish the words. So it's like a roar of noise, but you don't know what's being said. So this roar is going on. This shaft of light is beaming down on Saul. He falls to the ground, and he's having a conversation with the person in the light. And you're just sitting back in awe and wonder of what is going on. The light disappears, the voice goes, goes silent, and Paul is left totally blind. A moment ago, he was not blind. Now he's totally blind. You pick Saul up, and Saul says, look, I want to go to, to Damascus, and there's some Christians there I want to stay with. Now, we've got a problem. You've been following Saul, who said the Christians were heretics. You've been following Saul who said they were all, there was a sect that needed to be imprisoned. You've been following Saul who's your rising star, who's the next great leader. And suddenly he's had an instant reversal in his whole perspective about Jesus Christ and his followers. And furthermore, he was instantly blind. And now you're spending the night with a Christian family that you had intended to go and arrest. Your world's been turned upside down. What you thought was right was wrong. What you thought was up was really down. And suddenly you don't know what in the world is going on. Some man named Ananias comes in, lays his hands on Saul, and as quickly as he lost his sight, God gave it back to him. And now instead of arresting Christians, Saul is a Christian, and claims he's going to start preaching and making other people Christian. And your whole world has been spun just like that. What would you do if God shows up for real? And you had the ultimate encounter with God. You see, when the manifested presence of God comes in... You measure it in terms of intensity. Intensity. How intense is God's presence? You measure it in terms of activity. What is He doing? How many things are happening in the Spirit? How many people are being saved? How many people are receiving healing? Major answers to their prayers. Doors opening up. Problems being fixed. You measure the presence of God by the level of activity. How much activity is going on? When God shows up, the stronger He moves, the more intensity and the more activity that we register. It's like everything is electric. Some of us are of an age to remember when everything was not electric. How many of you remember rolling up the window or rolling down the window? If you were hot, you didn't hit the button. You rolled the window down. And if you had too much, if you were cold, you rolled the window up. If you were cold, you might build a fire. If you wanted to cook something, you might have to light the stove and build a fire. 
because there was nothing electricity. But then the wonderful invention of electricity and all the homes have electricity and everything we do is electric and it's all push button, turn the knob, pull the lever, make the adjustment. We're cool, we're clean, we're cooked. Everything's fixed because it's like electric. And when the Spirit of the Lord moves, it's like everything is electric. And the human energy and the human effort that we give our best to week after week, day after day, suddenly everything is electric. It's all power. You know, I remember when I was a kid, Dad always had pickup trucks, and um, he had trucks that were manual steering and manual brakes. And so when he was teaching me how to drive as a little boy, you know, I have to get in there and I'd have to crank on that big steering wheel, big steering wheel, because you had to crank on it. It was hard to turn. It took muscle to turn that thing, especially if you're sitting still or going slow. Having to remember manual steering. Four, five, six. Sorry about that. I exposed you, didn't I, Pat? I didn't mean to do that. And then we had manual brakes. You know, today we, we just tap the brake. Then you had to pump the brake. And if you push it hard enough, you stop. But then I remember the day, the day Dad brought me out. He said, man, I've got new trucks, and I want to show you my new truck. It's got power steering. He just took his finger, and he just sitting still, and just take his finger and turn that steering wheel like that. I was amazed as a little kid. Power steering. And that's when we started just tapping the brake because we had power brakes. Now most of our cars, none of them operate with anything less than power brakes and power steering. When God moves... It's like everything has power steering and power brakes. It's a difference in riding a bicycle and driving in an automobile. Suddenly the power of God, the energy of God comes upon us and everything we do that was hard becomes easy. It's almost like push-button prayer. And when the Spirit of the Lord moves, everything is orchestrated. Everything's orchestrated. Now, we know that God orchestrates everything, and everything is, fits together in His time and plan. But when the Spirit of the Lord moves, there's a heightened sense that people are just amazingly at the right place at the right time and say the right things. It's like an orchestra with all the instruments, and the conductor is determining what each instrument might play. And all of it put together makes a beautiful music. When God's moving, there's a heightened sense that everything is orchestrated. That every little thing that happens in your life that previously may not have had significance or meaning suddenly puts you at the right place at the right time. And there's a tremendous alignment of events in your life. Because there's this, this heightened sense that God is orchestrating every minute detail. When the Spirit of God moves, you see that on an increased basis. When the Spirit of the Lord manifests among us, there is an increase in the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit. There are many gifts of the Spirit. There are nine extraordinary gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are three vocal gifts, three power gifts, and three knowledge gifts. The three vocal gifts are tongues, the interpretation of tongues and prophecy. 
the three knowledge gifts are word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. The three power gifts are the word of uh, the working of miracles, gifts of healings, and faith. These are the three power gifts. And so when God moves, those gifts are much more prevalent and they're much more active. And those gifts will function in your life and function in the ministry and function in the church at a much greater uh, rate, much greater frequency, much greater accuracy, much more profound, more dramatic. So the, the nine extraordinary gifts uh, really, really get strong when God is moving. These are indicators. And when God is moving, church never seems to end. God's with you 24-7. You know, church is wonderful. It's always good. You go in the house of God, you get refreshed, and you take it home with you. But when God's moving, it's like churches never end because you're having visitations at night and in the day. And God is speaking to you and using you. And the presence of God is as strong sometimes when you're at home than it is when you're in the house of God. So church never seems to end because it's just all the time when God moves. When God moves, it's like church never ends. And when God moves, you've got to go to church more often and stay there longer when you get there. Now, I don't know how to have clean, crisp services in a move of God. I, I don't know how to do that. When God moves, it takes more time, and you've got to go to church more often. And you want to. And it's fun. And it seems like that's the way it should always be. I remember in January of 2011, the Spirit of the Lord moved wonderfully and sovereignly in this house. And we went from campus to campus throughout that month having church it seemed like every single night, every time I woke up, I was headed to church somewhere. And, and, but it was wonderful. It was great. And we had marvelous church, and God did things that are amazing to this day. Just a great season, about 30 days. Because when God shows up, it takes a lot of church, and it's all good, and you can't wait to get there. That's the kind of move that I'm talking about. So let me ask you this. What if God gets outside your comfort zone? We all have a comfort zone. There are some things I'm comfortable with and other things I'm not comfortable with. What if God does something and you're just not comfortable with that? What are you going to do? We read the Bible from the end looking back. We see it after it happens. We see the whole picture, how it fit together. And we say, amen. But what, had, what would your response have been if you'd have been there on the river banks of Jordan when the heavens opened up and a voice thundered? Or what would you have done if you'd have been standing there when Jesus' face looked like a light bulb? Or if you'd have been there on the day of Pentecost in the temple when they had those little flame things going on? What would you have done if God moves outside your comfort zone? What if something happens you've never seen before or you cannot explain? What if something happens that you're a little bit reluctant to tell your friends about because they'll think you're a little crazy? What if something happens to someone else in the congregation 
that frightens you. Like, whoa, what's going on with that person? Why are they doing that? And you look over there at Pastor Random. He's got a puzzled look on his face, but he's texting me. And I send him back and say, son, just obey the Holy Ghost. God will lead you. He's like, thanks, Dad. What do you do if God does something in someone else that you don't understand and that is a little bit frightening? What if God overwhelms you? Now, normally I'm pretty much in control of my emotion, my mind, and my mouth, mostly most of the time. But I've been overwhelmed with God. How many of you have been overwhelmed with God? I've been overwhelmed with joy in His presence. Just overwhelm and laugh at nothing, but laugh more deeply than I ever have before. Overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed with crying. I didn't want to cry. I don't know what I was crying about, but I couldn't quit crying. I was overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed with giving. I gave way more than I should have given, than I thought I could give, but I was overwhelmed. How many have been overwhelmed? And just take it all. Just it don't matter. Just take it all. I don't care. I don't want it anymore. Just take it. Overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed with love? Have you ever been overwhelmed with forgiveness about someone you had made up your mind you would never forgive them for that, but just overwhelmed? Have you ever been overwhelmed with a celebration spirit that just made you wanted to dance like the world had suddenly corrected itself and it was all perfect now and you were celebrating it? What will happen if you're overwhelmed by the Spirit of God? What if God really messes up our church? I mean, He just messes it up. It's not safe anymore. It's not predictable anymore. You don't know when it's going to start. You certainly don't know when it's going to end. You're not sure what people are going to do or what they're not going to do. And you want to bring your friends, but you're a little cautious. You want to tell everybody, but you tried that, and it didn't work out so good. What will you do if God messes up our church? You see, I believe what the Lord wants me to do is stir up your pure hearts and to increase the level of hunger for the things of God. So I've just been talking about it today. Isn't it amazing how when you talk about things, you get hungry for them? Like if if we start talking about my mama's dumplings, (laughs) church is over with, buddy. We're going home for some dumplings. You start talking about going on a vacation. Maybe it's a cruise. Maybe it's a ski trip. I don't know. Maybe it's the beach. But when you start talking about something, oh, you just get to wanting it, right? If you don't talk about it, it's okay. But if you start talking about it, I mean, it's like, well, maybe we could. And how much would that cost? And when can we do it? That would be fun. So I've just been talking about the presence of God. Just stirring up your hearts. You'd release that hunger for God. You see, I'm convinced that the hunger in our hearts is like a vacuum that pulls on the presence of God in our lives. And when you hunger for God and you release that hunger and you think about it and you pray about it and you ask God for it and you talk to each other about it, it's like a vacuum that pulls the presence of God. The winds of God will begin to blow where the people of God 
our hunger for Him. You know, rarely ever has God gone places and done great things to people that didn't want it. Rarely. God has the biz- is in the business of going where He's been invited. Staying where He's been made welcome. He's in the business of working where people enjoy Him working. I want to be that kind of place. Do you? So release that hunger for God. <clears throat> so, the Bible says draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. It also says seek the Lord and He'll be found. So I want to encourage you to release your hunger and to seek Him. I believe we're just before another special season of God's presence. And I'm speaking that word to you and to this whole church. And I'm asking you to get on board with us and seek the Lord. When you pray, ask God for the winds of His Spirit. When you worship, worship with all of your heart and expect God to move. And every time you come to a prayer meeting or a Bible study or a Sunday morning service, come expecting the presence of God to be waiting for you when you get there. And worship God with all of your heart and be prepared to stay as long as it takes because, Lord, we're hungry for you. There are several things that motivate me in this direction. Uh, First of all, uh, I love the presence of God. I love the presence of God. There's nothing on my value system as high as being the privilege of being in His presence. Secondly, I sense that we desperately need a move of God in our lives, in this community, and in our nation. We need an outpouring of God's Spirit. We need God's wind to blow across America. We need another great awakening. We really do. Uh, we, we haven't been going the right direction for a long, long time. And uh, we're losing ground morally and spiritually in this country. We need a wind of God. The answer is found in the Lord. And I'm asking to seek God, that God would send us another great awakening. There was a great awakening in the 1700s. There were two great awakenings in the 1800s. We saw tremendous things in the 1900s, 100 years of Pentecost. But in this 21st century, we have not seen the shaking of God in this nation like we have in previous centuries. The 21st century is 12 years old. And we have not seen a major outpouring of the Spirit that has really touched the nation to date. Not in the 21st century. The third reason why I'm speaking this to you is because I sense that we are at the gateway of something great being released in this country. I really believe we're going to see a move of God. Um, In this century, since 2000, 2001, there has not been, to my knowledge... A, a, a major move of God, a major sweep of His Spirit, a major event of significance there has not been yet in this century. I believe this century is marked for God. Great things are ahead, and the time is now. So I want to encourage you to pray with me and seek the Lord and reach out after Him with all of your hearts. You can close your Bibles now. Thank you very much. We're finishing up here in just a moment. And we're doing really good on our time, so we're not in a hurry. I want to ask you just to uh, turn your spiritual sensor up. Because you're a human being and a child of God, you have a, a sensor. You have the, a detector of the presence of God. You have the ability to sense His nearness um, and sense His movement. But you have to turn that up. You've got to turn that on. So I ask you to close your eyes. And I just want you to turn up that sensor 
that sensor of your spirit and just feel the, the, the presence and the nearness of God here with us today. I want you to do that for just a few moments. The world's too noisy and too busy. It can drown out the cl closeness and the nearness of God. It can drown out the voice of God in your heart. But if we stop for a moment, we can sense His nearness. Thank you, Lord, for the wind of your Spirit that's in the place this morning. The movement of the Holy Ghost. Welcome. This is your house. Do what you will. Be enthroned in our midst. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Father. Pray in the Spirit real quietly. If you're, if you're a person that prays in the Spirit, and I hope you are, Go ahead and begin to pray quietly in the Spirit. Open up your heart and let, let what you're feeling spiritually be released in a spiritual language. Thank you, Jesus. Chris, I'm going to ask you and Yolanda to come and I want you to sing um, I love, I love, I love your presence. <clears throat> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. All right, how many of you feel like something's been stirred on the inside of you, right? I tell you, you got to be careful in the house of God. The peace of His presence will put you to sleep. Sure will. Because we get so busy in the world, when you just stop and shut out the world and just sense His presence, your body receives rest. The stress level goes down. Your body systems begin to level out. It's in the presence of God. For a lifetime, I practiced praying and napping and praying and napping. It's amazingly healing for your spirit, your emotions, 
your whole body when you have long periods of time. I don't mean like I got 20 minutes, let me take a nap and pray. I'm, I'm talking about when you've got time to pray, you pray and you nap and you pray and you nap. Because when you get in the presence of God, your body begins to relax and healing. It's just a beautiful thing. You can take a, you know, the world calls them power naps. This is the real power nap. It's when you can mix pray. You wake back up in a few minutes and you start praying again. And you, you just, it's an amazing thing. And that word was for somebody here today.